You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I've been meaning to talk with Brian from Nutter Guitars for a very long time. He's a really great dude. He has a ton of experience, and it was really cool to get to know him better and dig into his musical story and his approach to guitar making and all that good stuff. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I just have one quick thing to get out of the way before we dive right in, and that is music stuff. Oh, yeah, I've got more music coming. This Friday, the 9th, there is a new track dropping, and it is the first collab track that I have done. So if you want to go to the American Cyclops page on Spotify or wherever you stream music, it should be in just about any of the streaming stores that I'm aware of, as well as on Bandcamp and all that stuff. So yeah, June 9th, there will be a new single dropping called Onboard, and it is a collaboration with Emily Hopkins, who is a harpist. And yeah, it's really cool. I'm really stoked with how it turned out. Really, really, really. It's one of the first songs I've put out with vocals in a very long time. They're, you know, more of an instrument than an actual vocal track on this particular song. But still, I'm doing some vocalizing. So if you could go stream that on June 9th, wherever you listen to podcasts, and I will put the pre-save link in the show notes for this. That will be another American Cyclops release. And I also put a big update on that on the American Cyclops Instagram. And I'm just talking about, I won't rehash it here, but if you go to the American Cyclops Instagram page, you can see an update about the goings-on with that musical project. There is a lot going on, and I'm really excited to share that with you. So yeah, that's all for this week, I think, for the plugging and whatever that has to happen. All right, that's it. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff, sort of, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with <laughs> me today, I have Brian Nutter of Nutter Guitars. What's going on, dude? Man, here we are, uh, yeah. trying to overcome the technological challenges, but uh, I think we finally made it. Uh, yeah, sometimes it goes baby smooth, and sometimes I've literally fought it for like the whole hour <laughs> trying to get it. <laughs> And I'm just like, this is so dumb. I mean, literally just used the same thing yesterday. Yeah. It was like, click, click. All right, we're doing it. Boom. We're in. And, and yeah, sometimes yeah. that's just the way it goes. It makes no sense. Yeah, man. That's how it is. But uh, yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. We man. met at NAMM and I've played some of your guitars and I think they're really, really rad. And Thank you. And Yeah. So, but you've had such a wild ride since we got to meet. And oh every time God. I would I would be like, I'm going to check with Brian to see if, oh, no, now is not a good time <laughs> to record. <laughs> so I'm glad we finally got the chance uh, to do it. But uh, before we get into all of that, well, just tell us about yourself. How did you get started playing guitar and how did you start making stuff? Oh, wow. Um, so my dad and my grandfather are both musicians. My dad plays pedal steel and my grandfather was a fiddle player. Um, and from the time I was born until I was about 12, dad's band would rehearse at our house. And uh, so they ended up with a with a minor record deal in Nashville in the late 70s and early 80s. Had a couple of like songs on the charts and the whole bit. And then, so, you know, they left the drumsticks for me and uh, showed me how to turn on the little practice PA whenever I was like four, so I could sing through the microphones and all that stuff. So I was always around that kind of thing. It just seemed like it was weird that everybody else didn't have a band set up in their living room. Right. Uh, so I, by the time I'm about 12, uh, I think that's the time where you're supposed to like not be listening to what your parents listen to. And I remember hearing Blizzard of Oz for the first time. And I had been around electric guitars my entire life, but none of them had ever made that sound. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just the most 
intoxicating and sort of like evil and sinister kind of sound I'd ever heard. And I was like, I got to know how to do that. So then I start playing guitar and uh, in, you know, like garage bands and stuff. And by the time I'm 17 or so, I, uh, you know, things break. And of course, I'm 17 and I'm broke. So I don't know how to I, you know, I can't pay for anything. I can't have anybody fix anything for me. So I start getting books and just start mangling things and uh, plowing through until I get better at it, just doing small repairs and uh, that kind of stuff. And then by the time I was in my early 20s is when I first started making stuff. And, you know, then by then I'm living in Los Angeles and I'm doing sessions there both as a recording engineer and as a uh, as a guitar player and singer and you know sort of like a chance meeting with uh with a couple of different guitar makers out there one being Don Grosh mm-hmm. um and another being Tom Anderson um and those two guys showed me that people make guitars and not machines uh Grover Jackson said that he used to think that guitars over in Japan, they had some sort of machine where you threw a log in one end and it spit out a tuned up, perfectly finished guitar on the other end. <laughs> That's sort of what I thought. Um, you know, I thought that there were just these gigantic machines and everything was robotic and, you know, and it turns out that's exactly how Music Man does it now. But, um, so that's that's come to full fruition. But at that time, uh, I remember, te- you know, telling Don, I was like, hey, man, I would love to come by the factory sometime. And he was like, factory? We make these things in my parents' garage. Right. And I was like, whoa. Okay. So you then, can do that? Like, what? Yeah. So then mm-hmm. I, I bought this book um, called Make Your Own Solid Body Electric Guitar, the first edition by uh, an English gentleman named Melvin Hiscock, who actually sadly died last February. Um, I got to talk to him a few times, you know, throughout my career, and he, he was a really, really cool guy. I still keep that book on my bench today. Um, I had the second edition, but it died in the Nashville flood in 2010. Oh, uh, but yeah, the from there on in, man, I just started messing with stuff and then moved to Nashville in like 2000 and wanted to make guitars and realized I needed to eat. So I started getting gigs, and then my playing career here kind of took off more than more than guitar making. So, for the next fifteen years or so, you know, if you had a record deal in Nashville, I probably played for you at some point, uh, wow. both in both in you know country music and in uh, and some in the Christian world as well. So, uh, you know, I played with uh, with. Aaron Lines and Amanda Wilkinson and Carolyn Don Johnson, all three of which are Canadian artists, as well as um, uh, Lone Star and Taylor Swift and uh, some with Dirk Bentley. And I was in Keith Urban's band for a long time. Um, and then in the Christian world, I played with uh, both Michael Tate and Toby Mack from DC Talk, uh, Rachel Lampa. And, you know, it was so I had a pretty diverse playing career um, and doing, you know, live touring things as well as uh as session work and then had my own thing as well uh, where i would go out and do solo gigs with my own band or you know do uh, acoustic tours just you know all by my lonesome i did europe or not europe but i did the uk like that once with an acoustic guitar on my back a bag of merch in one hand and my suitcase in the other and just rode virgin rail all over the country wow (laughs) yeah it was hip that's amazing I'd, i'd love to do it again and then my wife and I, whenever I stopped working with Keith, my wife and I did a uh, a duo record and then a full house concert tour in 2015. So 2015, we're in uh, my my van, um, which is named The Creeper, and uh, we drove all over the country twice and did 180 shows in people's living rooms. Ended up with our own record deal and, you know, had a big booking agency that was with us. And we had a manager and business manager and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, by the end of 2015, as things do, it turned into a record or deal as opposed to a record deal. Ouch. And <clears throat> all of it vaporized. So it's definitely not the first time I've been through it. Uh, by the way, I can't take credit for the term record or deal. I stole that directly from my good buddy, John Bollinger, um, whom you guys know from uh, uh, Premier Guitar. John and I, mm-hmm, of course. John and I worked together on a TV show called Nashville Star. 
he was the music director and guitar player, and I was the other guitar player. So uh, then when that was all said and done, my wife and I were just kind of jaded by the whole thing. And we were like, what are we going to do now? And I told her, I was like, I'm going to start making guitars again. And this is October 2015. And she had only ever knew me as a player. So um, she was like, oh, okay, sure. You're going to make guitars. So I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, get, I get all my shop put back together because uh, we had just moved. And I come out with the first prototype. And I was like, what do you think? She's like, where did you get this one? And I was like, I made it. And she was like, where? I'm like, out in the shed. She was like, oh, no. Like, yeah, really, I did. So, and then from there on in, you know, here we are. We're a few hundred guitars in and um, just cranking away. Mm-hmm. That's what, well, I'm finally back to cranking away after last year. So, right, right. which we can definitely get into. Yeah. But I'm glad we <laughs> went over all the other stuff because I didn't know like the full depths. Obviously, I knew you didn't just wake up one day and start making admirals. Uh, but <laughs> no. like, <laughs> no, not at all. But I didn't know all that other stuff, so it's it's good to have that that overview. Um, if you don't mind, I'm always really interested in this, and I think a lot of the listeners are as well. When somebody has had the depth of experience, specifically working directly in the the music industry, like as right. as most people think of it, like you and I are both in the music industry now still, but yes. it's a little more of a a tangent as opposed to like being a session player or actually trying to create the right. art, you know, itself. Do you have any advice for people who want to work in the world in the same way that you did? And maybe if you don't mind going over the record ordeal so some people sure. can avoid those mistakes. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, if you want to get in to doing what I was doing, which is I was a basically a hired gun, a, uh, a side guy. So I was hired by, you know, either the managers or uh, business managers or artists or whoever, or music director or whatever, for whatever project to come in. And if it was a live thing, you know, I obviously wouldn't have played on the record. So I had to learn that stuff, like lick for lick, um, sort of cop the same kind of guitar sounds. So you're not there to be you. You're there to be the record and to completely spit out that thing. Unless... That that artists will say, no, I need you to do something else, or you know, do your own thing here. Then you know you could stretch and do your your stuff, but primarily, you know, you're there in a completely supportive role. Now that might mean, you know, that they want you wearing all black clothes and standing in the back. We affectionately refer to that as black and back. Um, or you might be, uh, you they might, you know pick your wardrobe and say you have to wear this and you have to wear, you know, guy liner and, you know, spike your hair up in weird ways or, you know, you got to wear a cowboy <laughs> hat. You know, you're you're there as as a a supportive role to whoever or whatever the vision of the the artist is. Uh so as long as you you can keep that headspace and you're not there to be like, "Well, I'm not I'm not being featured enough." And I'm like, "Well, dude, you're not here for that." That's um, not your thing. Yeah, as long as you're cool with that, then then right on. Uh, it is a it can be a very good paying dead end job. It's um, there's only so far you can go. I had what's arguably like one of the better gigs, if not the best gig you can have in Nashville, and um, but that's it. That's as far as it goes. Uh, for me to go higher. Um, Brian Ray or Rusty Anderson are going to have to die, and I'm not probably not going to get the call from Paul McCartney. So right. <laughs> maybe um, not. Maybe no. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Or you know, Zach came back, so uh, you know, Ozzy's not going to be needing someone. Um, so that's that's uh, that's kind of how that that thing works. And it's a matter of you know, you also wherever you are, if you're not in Nashville or Los Angeles, then those are your options. New York is not an option. Miami's not an option. Chicago's not an option. New York's uh, not an option. Interesting. N- not really. Because okay. whenever, whenever it comes to, I mean, you can, you can be in New York, um, but I don't see a lot of like true touring acts coming out of there. There's, there's recording in that kind of stuff, but it's also incredibly expensive to live up there. Yes. Um, so uh, it's 
cheaper to live here in Nashville, but it's getting increasingly expensive. Thank you to the TV show Nashville for ruining that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but and all the New Yorkers that are just moving to Nashville, <laughs> dude. New York, L.A., everyone. It's like it's truly that old Sean Mullins tune. It, uh, you know, but in reverse, where he calls L.A. Nashville with a tan. No, the tan moved here. So. Um, <laughs> And then you know if you're if you're looking like worldwide, of course you know you can be in London, uh, you could be in Hong Kong or Tokyo, um, and that's kind of it. Uh, so you'll have to move to a place where it's centrally hubbed, and then start getting to know people that you really want to that are already doing what you want to do. You know, um, you have to be pretty diverse. You have to be able to play a handful of instruments. It's always a benefit if you sing. Uh, and the better you sing, the the better off you are. And the more instruments you play, the better off you are. So, like in Keith's band, I played uh, electric and acoustic guitar, six string banjo, mandolin, manicello, pedal steel, keys, uh, auxiliary percussion. Sang uh, the the primary part of uh, all the high harmony. So. I can barely play guitar, so you know, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be the career for me. Now I say I played all those stuff, and I—I I mean, I, I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm completely proficient with all of it. You know, I—I I say I played pedal steel, and I—and I do have a pedal steel. I'm not a pedal steel player. My dad's a pedal steel player. I'm a pedal steel owner, um, but I can play a part. Like I can, like you know, really do a thing. We did the Opry one night with a guy named Bruce Bouton. Bruce Bouton is one of the, one of the top call session steel guitar players in Nashville. Played with Ricky Skaggs for many years. If you've ever heard the song Highway 40 Blues, that mm-hmm. f- fantastic pedal steel solo, that's him. Um, so we were doing a song that on the road I played pedal steel on. And Bruce, he's, uh, and Keith called it sort of at the last minute. He was like, hey, let's do this instead. And Bruce goes, hey, Brian you play pedal steel on this on the road. What do you play? And I go, hey, hang on. You, Bruce, <laughs> you, Bruce Bouton, are not asking me, Brian Nutter, what I play on the pedal steel. This song's in F, okay? It's, you know, one, four, five, six minor. There's a, there's a two minor in there somewhere. You're going to be fine. Trust me. You know, you know what the intro lick is. Let's go have a beer. We'll come back and we'll do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that'd be kind of weird. Like, no... It's like ask, having Eddie Van Halen ask you what to do on it. Parts like yeah. no, no, yeah. no, mm-hmm. nope. You just that's do not it. happening. Just do the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you. Whatever you're going to do is going to be way better than anything I spent months working on. So, yeah, that's that. Now the record ordeal thing. That God, navigating that is there's. I don't think there's no path really. It's truly like. The lottery. It's the like luck of the draw. There's a you know there are there are things that you have to be considerate of. Like you know, uh, a you can't be a jerk. Um, and believe me, I've had my fair share of times in life where I have been a total jerk, just completely unhappy in the situations that I'd be in. So that probably you know uh, definitely you know counters a strike against me. But um, you you have to. Uh, you have to be willing to give up a lot of what it is you are, I think. Okay. Uh, you can't, you know, the, the whole, like, thing of being signed for being really creative and very talented in, in all of that, that's not so much the case anymore. Um, it's, we need to hear this kind of a song. Uh, it needs to have this kind of lyrical content. You need to look this kind of way. So a lot of that stuff is is dictated. And at the same time, the record industry has changed so much, even in the last 10 years, where record labels used to be just a bank where, you know, they would loan you the money for the uh, for the record and give you a budget for for promotion and for touring and all of that. And you paid that back, but you paid it back at whatever your royalty rate was. So say they're selling your your then CD for 10 bucks and you made a dollar on that CD. Well, you paid back that loan with that dollar. In the meantime, mm-hmm. the record label got that $9. So right. the record label makes money regardless. Now they're doing what they call a 360 deal where th- on a 360 oh, yeah. deal, the labels take a piece of everything. They take a piece of your merch, your touring, all of that. So Literally every dollar that comes in, they get... 
30% exactly. of or Yeah, whatever. they get a lot of it. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, you got to be able to get willing to give that up as well. So the the stuff that you're seeing that's like truly creative and truly artistic and in that you're seeing more in indie, you know, indie like rock, metal, Americana, country, um, any of that stuff. So yeah. in the the whole ordeal of it, yeah, I mean you'll you can be promised the world, and trust me, you you will be uh, until you're not. The whole thing mm-hmm. can vaporize in a ten minute conversation. I've had it happen <laughs> a dozen times. Yeah, I have this very cynical view on most labels. Uh, mm-hmm. Corey Wong helped like get my mindset a little bit more. Uh, aligned with how it probably should be because I was way more cynical before I talked to him. But <laughs> right. I'm just like in in 2021, you know, with my viewpoint is obviously very skewed. So music is very important to me. I'm a huge music fan. And I also am a big podcast fan. Right. And I look at like this show and I'm like, well, I didn't have a label or a promoter or anything helping me get this to where people are listening to it, right? right? In the way that in the way that people consume digital media now and basically podcasts and music the way you listen to them is identical even up to the point of now Spotify you're probably listening to it on the same platform there's a good Absolutely. chance. So, you know, if I didn't need any help to get people now I say any help, I had help in that the guests who come on would like be like I was on this show. That is help. But I didn't have like a promoter working with me or anything. Sure. And I'm able to get a decent amount of people to listen to this, which as surprising as that is. Yeah, and I, I, I can't help but feel the same way about an independent musician. If you really grind and really scratch and really go for it, the way that we consume things these days, if what you're if what you're creating is going to resonate with resonate with people, you can get people to listen to it. Oh you know? absolutely. What we're seeing now though is the the age of rock stars is is gone. Um, yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna, particularly now after the pandemic, we're gonna see less and less uh, arena shows and stadium shows. There's probably gonna be a couple, but it's not gonna be like it was. Yeah, uh, there's also not a platform to make for, to make rock stars anymore. Not like whenever I was a teenager, you know, in the mid '80s with, you know, an MTV like rolling. You knew the you knew the bass player in every band. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, tell me, you don't know. You don't know that now. No. You know? It. Uh, you, and that goes across any genre. You don't know. There's every every band member doesn't have their own persona that that they sort of uh, promote. So it's a it's a totally different world. But you can get out there and make a really good living. You're not going to be a gajillionaire, and they're not going to reboot cribs and come to your place. Right. But, uh, it's it's just how it is now. Yeah, and I don't necessarily even think that's a hundred percent a bad thing. No, you know, for not the pe- at all. for the people that are working in it. I'm like, I don't know, like that whole rock star lifestyle and image, it seems kind of cool from the, the deep outside looking in, but the further and further you get to the core of it, it's like, ooh, that doesn't seem like a really all that wonderful of a way to live, you Bro, know? <laughs> you nailed it on the head. As soon as you as soon as you could get when you get to stand behind the curtain and really look around at the, at all of it, and it's like, mm, yeah, maybe not. Like, there's I don't really want to do that. There's mm-hmm. a uh, a really famous songwriter here in Nashville, Harlan uh, Howard, who died a few years ago. But he uh, he said, I never set out to be rich and famous, and so far it's working out just fine. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's similar, and it. To, and now this is a oversimplification, of course, but like it's kind of a similar quote that I heard attributed to Bill Murray, where he's like, "Everyone thinks all their problems is is going to, you know, they're going to go away when they're rich and famous." And to those people, I say, "Why don't you just try being rich first? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally. Like, the famous part gets uh, gets uh, dicey gets, real, it, yeah. real, real fast. It's really, really tricky. Yeah, it's kind of funny because even like." The way that guitar equipment is marketed these days, generally, there's generally the more successful brands 
have a personality behind them to yeah. to a certain degree, you know, to the point where, you know, I mean, think about like Josh Scott or Brian Wampler, like making guitar pedals. Yeah, man. 25 years ago, did you think those guys would, anybody would care what they had to say on the internet? Oh, no. Uh, I, with, Wamp, <laughs> with Wampler, um, I actually did because Wampler like 20 years ago had a, like a, it was like a little PDF that he would sell you. Mm-hmm. for like 10 or 15 bucks, and it was on how to mod a list of pedals. And he had like a pile of pedals in there and all these different mods you could do. And yeah. I had that. So, yeah, I, I bought that from him, you know, ages and ages ago. Well, probably 2000 or 99 or something like that, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know when he did that. We talk about it occasionally because there for a while, and I think it's toned down a little bit, the physical copies of the original edition of that were selling for like – 600 bucks oh my he's gosh like, are you serious and he, yeah and he's like don't do it he's like there's mistakes <laughs> in there he's like don't pay 600 he's like that no don't do that That's please awesome. don't do that yeah yeah so. he uh the you now you're absolutely right though now is uh you know for for being a being a guitar maker you have to have an instagram account you have to be present in that you've got a you know, your face has to be a part of that. You are the, there's nobody cares about your guitars more than you do. Right. So you have to get out there and really do it. Um, and that's, that may or may not be difficult for somebody. I don't have any problem being in front of a big crowd of people. Never have. You're a performer. So yeah, it comes totally. naturally. Yeah. I mean, I've played all, every TV show. I've even played Oprah, which is weird, mm-hmm. but I did. Uh, and did she give you, you a car? All this, no. Uh, Oprah, Dude. come on. She did take Look, our, my... All right. When we went to... <laughs> this is probably <laughs> like against some sort of like, you know, non-disclosure agreement or something, but... Allegedly. Watch, yeah, say uh, allegedly. Yeah, Oprah's fine. people are going to like swoop in here and like rappel out of helicopters in my house. <laughs> uh, no, that when we went there, they took our phones as soon as we walked in the back door. Really? Yeah. Took our phones from us. We weren't allowed to communicate with anyone outside the building or take photos or anything. I suppose with, with, with somebody like that, that's such a high profile people, you know, there's like crazy people that want to kill her. Well, I mean, Uh, you know, I I played Leno, God, you know, dozens of times. And Jay Mm -hmm. even had me over the garage. So, uh, yeah, just a different thing. I guess, I guess she probably had some sort of weird experience that caused that to be a, I'm sure of it. Necessary thing. I'm sure of it. But yeah, I mean, I, so if you're, if you're in front of it, you, you have, if you have a problem being in front of people, it might be harder for you to, to really get out there and sort of uh, promote what you're doing. But mm-hmm. you got to do it now. Absolutely got to do it now. Yeah. And, and what's really funny about a lot of guitar makers in particular, I find that specifically people who make guitars, I'm not talking about pedals or amps or anything else, right. they seem to be a little more introverted. And oh. when I've invited people on the show, they're like, why does anybody care what I have to say? And it's like, <laughs> well, I've also never met a boring luthier. Like, uh, yeah, they, you, <laughs> I'm sure there's one out there, but I've never met one. So I honestly, even though I am a performer, I am a total introvert. And you, you have to be uh, to want to just hold yourself up in a room with a bunch of tools and a big stacks of wood and paint and for hours and hours and hours on end. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually my my total like kind of recharge happy place. I'm a, I'm around people all the time because now I teach guitar making for Musicians Institute in Nashville. Right. Um, I head up the uh, the electric guitar department, so I've got people coming at me from you know 16 different directions every day, as well as two kids under five. Whenever I get home, that are doing the same. Uh, so yeah, the shop is like the the recharge spot, and we all just get in there and constantly thinking on how can I make this better and how can I make this process easier and you know is this cool you know are people going to dig this or I don't mm-hmm. know well, one thing I've noticed and it's very it's not really what I would have expected but it's 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 been a thing enough times that uh, it's a, a trend is starting to appear the people at Stringjoy who really excel at at winding because it, mm-hmm. it takes it takes some learning to do. It's not something you just know how to do. You got you have to learn it. That is very true. Two of the <laughs> two of the current string winders at String Joy are my students. That's what I'm saying. They yeah. tend to be luthiers. It, yeah, they absolutely. Seem, and I think it's that detail 
you know, that attention to detail, I think, is what gives them the patience to be able to sit down and learn that process because it's for tedious. Real. You know, it really, and, really is. It's so cool, though. It's it's the the neatest thing. And the two guys that are over there couldn't be more perfect for that career. They're so good. They're so good. Scott, I mean, I talk to Scott almost every day. And so, like, I love that guy. <laughs> he's such he's fantastic. a cool dude. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Shout out, Scott. He's my boy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, and he talks very highly of, of yourself as well. So, nah. you know, that was actually what, like, made me go, okay, I think Brian's, like, he's back to teach. He's probably in a good spot to do a podcast now. Yes. Like, <laughs> finally. Yeah, finally. So maybe we should talk about all that. We've referenced the horrible year you've had on top of the most horrible year for most people. So for real, what yeah, happened I, to you, man? It, it was like nonstop. It was the dumbest thing ever. It really, really was. I mean, so everybody had a horrible year last year with the pandemic. Mine was a little worse. Um, a little. A little right after, worse than most people, right, let's be honest. Right after Nam um, in 2020, it was February 7th. Uh, and I had done a lot of great business at NAMM and things were really, really moving along. Um, the guitars were going to be put in places I really never dreamed and everything was looking so, so good. In February 7th, uh, it was, we were closing out class for the evening. It, we, we go till 10 o'clock every night. So that night, one of my students said, Hey, do you want some sunflower seeds? And he, I took a handful of sunflower seeds with the shells on them. Popped them in my mouth like I normally would, and they sort of got a little stuck. Um, I found out later that I had, had a uh, hiatal hernia, which is sort of like a stricture where your esophagus goes into your stomach. So mm -hmm. they were sort of sitting there, right, all chewed up and everything. So I took a big swig of water, and when I did that, the shells shredded my esophagus and Jeez. put all of that shrapnel out into my chest cavity. Uh, it was the scariest and most excruciating kind of pain I'd been through to date. Little did I know in the next few months, I was going to experience considerably worse, but... Oh, uh, yay. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know what was wrong. I thought I'd just like scratched the inside of my esophagus or whatever. So, you know, I'm drinking water and everything's looking good. Um, and what's even funnier is that like the lights in the creeper, the, the van, uh, the headlights... I had to replace them. So I had bought headlights that morning and I was going to change them out. Well, I still had to change them out. So I changed out the headlights in the van and I start driving home and I'm starting to notice that it's getting harder and harder for me to breathe. Uh, it, to a point where now I'm dr trying to drive and going. <laughs> the reason for that is I was internally drowning because I was drinking water that was filling my chest cavity. My lungs couldn't expand. Holy crap, man. So I just I, wanted some sunflower seeds. <laughs> uh huh. That's it. I just wanted a handful of sunflower seeds. Um. So then, uh, you know, I pull over, call nine one one. They take me in. Uh, I discovered that I have a very high tolerance to um to high level pain medication. So uh, Dilaudid, which is supposed to be like one of the most in, like heavy ones, does nothing for me. It's like Kool Aid. Mm -hmm. um, after seven doses of high-level pain medication, including Dilaudid, morphine, and finally fentanyl, um, the shortness of breath subsided. I passed out for about 30 seconds, came back to, and finally could tell them what happened. They sent me to the hospital, um, did a huge surgery where they went in through my left side, through my ribs, collapsed my left lung, and attempted to do repair to my esophagus, and then put in a stent in my esophagus to prevent anything from further leaking out into my chest cavity. Uh, I was in and out of the hospital for about three months, um, continued to get an infection, uh, was losing weight at a rapid rate, and got... Um, I had double pneumonia two or three times. I went into septic shock a couple of times. I went from 187 to 137. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, my typical, like, touring fighting weight would have been around 160 or 165, which is where I actually I sit now, which is good. Mm -hmm. So I, I, when I, my wife got pregnant, she was like, you're not staying skinny if I'm getting fat. So I put on weight with her, and she dropped it, and I didn't. <laughs> but uh, I found this fantastic diet plan that I don't recommend to anyone. <laughs> so 
But uh, so after that three months, my wife finally like, I'm not taking you back to that hospital. Uh, so we go to Vanderbilt where they tell me that, you know, as, as the surgeon put it, you, had you come to me two weeks later, there wouldn't have been a path forward. So I told him, I don't know if I can survive that surgery again. And he said, well, I don't know if you can either. And even told my wife to prepare for the worst. So Jeez. they go back in, the same thing, through my left side, through my ribs, collapse the left lung, do this repair. I remember waking up in recovery. I'm the only person in the room, no nurses, no nothing. I open up my eyes. I see the, the lights and stuff, and I lift my head up, and I look around, and I remember saying this. I went, huh, I made it. Cool. And then from there on in, um, you know, I was on feeding tube and had like a, a, a long-term IV in me, walked around and had drain tubes sticking out of the side of me that had these little like things that would catch anything that actually happened to slip by the stent. By the way, I had a, like six or seven different stents. I was put under about a dozen times last year. Jeez. So, uh, by finally by July, mid-July, the hole had finally healed up. And I was starting to put on weight, and I couldn't really – I went back to work at the school because the school shut down, by the way, by, for, for the pandemic. Um, I likened the whole ordeal at the very beginning, like whenever they put me down and uh, I'm sort of like coming out of it, and I'm constantly you know, in a morphine and hydrocodone haze, um, that it was sort of like being Rick Grimes in the first episode of The Walking Dead, you know, where I sort of like come out of my – my stupor and the whole world has gone to hell uh, and just couldn't figure out what was happening. So the school opens back up in early October and I went back to work then, but I was still weak and, uh, you know, having like, uh, like digestive and sort of like intestinal issues where I would be like heavily, heavily nauseated. Like I would have to disappear from class for about 45 minutes and go lock myself in the library so in, until everything sort of mellowed back out. But now, well, then, then in December, on top of all of that, my wife says, hey, why don't we put our house on the market just to see what happens? And sure enough, our house sold the day before it was supposed to go on the market. We moved. I moved to the shop, moved everything. Uh, and then, you know, continued and continued to get better. And just over the last few months, I'm finally... And I think I said this like maybe eight months ago. You know, I finally feel normal, but now I really do finally feel normal uh, and have really, really started to get back after the whole uh, the whole guitar building thing. And uh, so Summer Nam, I'm going to be at Summer Nam, and it's sort of going to be like my kind of reintroduction to the world and trying right. to get the whole get the whole ball rolling again because it it ground to a to a devastating halt. Uh, with the injury and then with the pandemic. Uh, so that's that's where we're here, headed here. And you're probably never going to eat sunflower seeds ever again. Funny enough, my first day back at work, that student brought me exactly the same amount of sunflower seeds. That, <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I kept them in a small mixing paint mixing cup on my desk for the longest time. Just as sort of like a reminder, <laughs> I, I don't like sunflower seeds that well. I would <laughs> yeah, never. Totally. I mean, I'd like. I'm like they're they're all right, you know. I'm kind of neutral on sunflower seeds as it is, but now I feel like I feel like not eating them in solidarity with you now. Just yeah. like despite oh, yeah. despite real, David's yeah. sunflowers, <laughs> <laughs> trying to kill my buddy over here. Absolutely. Jeez, no, it was, yeah, it was intense. I uh, I and you can't see me because I got my camera off because I'm all disgusting right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm covered in sawdust. Uh, I was I was just the whole time I'm just like I knew that it was bad and I knew you had dealt with several repeated things, but I didn't quite know the full extent of it. Yeah, and um, the it's infect- just it's crazy how something so simple can be so devastating and the oh, things we take for, real. for granted just. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of it makes you almost a little bit paranoid when you hear uh-huh. stories like that. The infection in my had had spread to my bones um, as well, and they told me that the pain that I was experiencing there was equal to someone in stage four bone cancer. Oh, good, that's great. Mm-hmm. And pain medication doesn't work that well 
for you. As it also, I also have that same thing going on yeah. as well. So, so I, I do well, like morphine and fentanyl work pretty well. Uh, hydrocodone made me feel better, but uh, that was that was it. I had a pretty serious, I haven't had a, fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't had too many experiences with that, but I had a pretty serious eye injury, and that's the first thing they did was hit me with the the fentanyl, and I was like, when's it supposed to stop hurting? I thought it was supposed to stop hurting. Same conversation. (laughs) They were like, this will do it. And I'm like, okay. No, no, I'm just waiting. Like, it still uh-huh. hurts really bad. In fact, I think I'm going to throw up. And they're like, we'll give him another one. And they, I, don't, I don't even hardly remember the whole thing. But oh, yeah. it was it was like, I thought this was supposed to work. And then they, they gave, gave me some stuff. And I stopped taking it because I was like, this isn't making me feel any better. And I know it's not good for you. So <laughs> totally. I'm just oh. not going to have it anymore. Uh, yeah, the, it's weird. That's a weird thing because some people take take it and they're like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life." Oh, in fact, real. I want to ruin my life for it. Um, I didn't have that experience, fortunately. I guess <laughs> I, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately. But. I would I would call that very fortunate. Uh, yes. Yeah, but I still got to feel all the withdrawal whenever uh, whenever I had to come off of it. So that was oh, fun. geez, now I'm extra glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Take oh yeah. More of was, it. I actually had to withdraw uh, from morphine twice. So that was. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, you'd was, think by by now, with all the technology year. we have, uh, that there would they would have figured out something other than opiate based pain medication by now. But no, For real. not so much. Well, actually, they're they're uh, and I I was part of this as well. They're using uh, like nerve medication as a as a non opiate uh, pain source, and that stuff it only kind of works it has to get into your system first like you can't just take the first one and be like hey that's way better mm-hmm. you've got to take like five days with it and oh, then weird before you actually start to feel uh maybe it's a little better or maybe i'm just better i don't know so that yeah. stuff's we- that stuff's all very strange the way and the way your body processes and the way like, oh my different God. people process things For real you know it i've heard with like opiate stuff some people are like it didn't make take the pain away. It just made me not care. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, ooh, that all that also sounds scary. I don't know. It oh man, that's no joke. It and, and it kind of does that. Uh, the I remember the feeling of before we went to Vanderbilt. I was uh, by this point I was sleeping like you know twenty twenty two hours a day, and right. really couldn't get up and move around and uh, and just not caring that much. So, and then when my wife dropped me off at Vanderbilt, they, you know, it's May. So it's uh, like, I want to say May 14th, 13th, something like that. So it's warm. uh, And because of the pandemic, I'm sitting outside with my bag in my lap in a wheelchair with a blanket over me because I'm freezing and a mask on and just sort of sitting there like a frail little old man waiting to go in. Wow. And she had to leave me like that. That's <laughs> that's so depressing. Oh, that's, it was, uh, yeah, it was terrible. That's horrible. Yeah, it was oh. terrible. But, and looking looking back on that stuff, though, now, like, you've <laughs> now that you've gotten through it, you got to feel fantastic now by comparison. Oh, man. It's just like, for real, oh, Superman. Dude, no. I can no. I mean, I can run again. I can uh, uh, all my strengths back. My right arm had atrophied. My shoulder had atrophied somehow from how they would position me in surgery. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't. I couldn't lift a guitar with my right arm. Like if it was hanging on a hook on the wall, I physically couldn't lift it off. Not an acoustic guitar. Nothing. I mean, I couldn't hold my arm straight out to the side because I wasn't strong enough to do it. Wow. Well, yeah, I can't imagine that you did that lateral raise movement like no. ever. Like, so that kind of makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was weird. Wow. But but it, for how traumatizing that is and how much like your body had to go through, honestly though, like now that I've heard the full story, like wow, you really snapped back pretty quick. <laughs> like you look good. You <laughs> look you. good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh no, I just just uh fully determined you know, mm-hmm. it was dying was not an option. I have too much stuff to get done. That's so. right. You got too many guitars to make. 
Yeah, for real. For real. Let's talk about the guitars a little bit. Now that we went through the horrible process, I'm so glad you're <laughs> feeling better. That's sure. That is fantastic <clears throat> that you're back on top of things and never eating sunflower seeds again. Never. Never. Um, talk about your guitars a little bit. What was the first design that you came up with? Like, this is a Brian Nutter guitar. Uh, the, you know, like I think all of us go through the, the initial stage of like doing Fender-esque things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, you know, the very first stuff that I ever made looked, the very first guitar I ever made actually was based on a, uh, I can't even remember the model of it now. It's a Squire, um, twenty-three and a half scale. Oh crud! I don't remember what it was called, hmm. but it was based on that. But it's going to be twenty-five and a half inch scale. Um, and then, okay, didn't like that. And then did a basically like a a Super Strat kind of, uh, a la Tom Anderson, John Sir looking thing uh and i was gonna i called that the the wm for working man and then i had a sort of a telly version of it and called that the wmt and i liked those but i never felt like it it really it didn't it still didn't scream me and Mm -hmm. also figured that you know if i was going to do this then i'm probably going to get buried in a just a mountain of fender clones so, uh, you know, one night in the shop with, uh, with a beer and, the, and a cigar, I sit down uh, in front of a big chunk of MDF, and I started drawing and uh, started doing, like, a lot of straight line kind of things, and the Astro Captain came out of that. Nice. And um, then I, I remember, like, looking at that guitar, just a drawing the first time, and was like, yeah, that's me cool i can do this uh so made those and then thought okay i need i need something else to go along with this and i've designed two other things that were that were straight line um one i called it the cadet i took it to summer nam a few years ago and nobody really bit at that and then there was another one that i did and i've only ever done two of them and they're super short scale they're uh 22 and a quarter scale. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, I called that the Ensign. And I made two. I made one shell pink and one sonic blue. And those are now hanging in my kids' rooms. Because uh, one for some, my son and one for my daughter. Then I came up with the Admiral. I decided I was going to do a, a set neck. And the Admiral also is more of a for a lack of a better term, more of a Fender size, even though it's not a Fender-looking guitar by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, not at all. It's still very angular, and um, but it's it's not angular in like a in a metal sense, you know. There because I don't have any real points, so it's you know I always tell everybody, you know, if George Jetson had a rock and roll band, what guitar would he play? And it mm-hmm. would probably be mine. Um, so the. The Astro Captain is got all the bells and whistles. You know, there's three humbuckers. You can select any one of the humbuckers or any combination of the humbuckers. You can reverse phase on any of the pickups. You can coil cut them. Uh, and you can also, with them in coil cut mode, using the phase selectors, you can select what side of the humbucker do you want to be on. So oh, cool. pickup options with that one are, you know, you know, Sky's the limit, pretty much. Uh, then the uh, the Admiral is electronically way simpler. It's just two um, mini hums with volume, volume, tone, and a three way so- three way toggle. Very, very simple guitar. Um, I'm reintroduced. I also have the Astro Commander, which is same shape in everything as the Astro Captain, but it doesn't have a vibrato, and it just has two humbuckers and a volume, volume, tone. Very kind of uh, explorer style, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. The uh, I'm reintroducing three other what I call swoopy models. So they're not straight line; they're curvy. Um, at Summer Nam this year, one uh, are two set necks and a, and a bolt on. The bolt on is uh, is called the Atlas. 
the the other two set necks are um, the Ranger and the Navigator. The Navigator is kind of uh, not to compare it to anything, but to give give you like a visual idea of it. It's more like uh, a Firebird in an RD. If Framus did it um, together, <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, uh, and then the the Ranger is um, the Ranger and Atlas are both very Japanese, like '60s Japanese influenced. So, um, which is my other kind of like favorite cool looking guitars. Uh, as much as I love like Telecasters, if I never see another one again. I'm totally cool with that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah, like the world doesn't need any more Telecasters. We have enough to go around to everybody. Don't um, worry, we're making more. Yeah, we're, for real. We're, we're yeah. making more, baby. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so so that's what's coming. Um, and then I'm also, uh, also at SummerNAM, I'm going to be debuting um, the... What will 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 be the Korean production guitars? Oh, uh, I didn't know you were doing that. Mm -hmm. We're going to start with uh, an Astro Captain and uh, Astro Commander. So they're going to be slightly different. And the Astro Captain's not going to have all the bells and whistles. Instead of having three humbuckers with the face switches and the coil cuts, it's going to have three humbucker-sized P90s, and none of the other, no phasing and no uh, coil cuts. Um, gotcha. And the uh, the commander will be as it as it would be. Um, so it'll there won't be sparkle finishes available on either one of those. the The Astro Captain will have metallic finishes, and then the uh, the commander will have like fifties um, car color, you know, sort of sonic blue, um, shell pink, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll have two of those uh, at Summer Nam coming up. So there's it's, yeah there's a pile of stuff that I've been like working on and 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 while I was in the hospital you know I I just to say active and keeping my mind going I learned CAD and uh, and got in got into uh, being able to do stuff on the CNC as well as doing all the hand work as well the uh, the the one that always sticks in my mind like like your guitars have this kind of George Jetson, like modern yet retro thing going on for the yeah. most part. But Call the one that futuristic, yeah, there you go. The, the one that sticks in my head though, because I'm kind of a, a like a little bit of a metalhead, is that flat black and red Admiral yeah. that I played. I can't, I can never stop thinking about that guitar. I'm like, damn, I, I got to do more I, of that. I love the, I love the vibe on everything else. I do, but that one was like so different in every way. That, for real, like, yeah. Oh, more, it's yeah, so good. Mostly, most of my guitars have have sparkle finishes on them. I always tell everybody I have glitter in my soul and in my ears because <laughs> that stuff gets everywhere. Uh, totally. But it's yeah, that one, man. I don't even know why I did that one the way I did because it was uh, I'm in the paint booth and we're like I don't know we're like maybe a week and a half out of Nam, and I got this guitar and I'm like, all right, uh, what what to do with it? And I'm gonna put. I'm about to put binding on, and then it hit me. I was like, "All right, I think I'm going to do a rat rod." I don't know mm -hmm. why. Ah, but, uh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, so I looked around and found red binding on Amazon, and uh, once I got the binding on it, I was like, "Yeah, flat black." I was actually going to put on that particular guitar because I I used to uh, restore and race vintage motorcycles. Um, I was going to put my racing number plate on it. Mm -hmm. um, but ran out of time, and I think it probably would have detracted from the the overall aesthetic of the, of the thing in hindsight. And I'm really happy it turned out the way it did. Uh, but yeah, I, that 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 the that one is going to become a thing because a lot of people talked about that particular guitar. So coming up later in this year, as parts of my shop are going to get automated, um, so I will do I will actually have specific production versions of all of these guitars. Um, and that that will just have certain designated colors, and then also throughout the month I will do 
a very select ver- uh, number of truly hand-built stuff, just like I do now, where, you know, I'm in front of the pen router and the deadhead sander and all that kind of stuff, very old-school methods. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of stuff on the way. It's been uh, a year and a half in preparation. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. I can't Looking help forward but, to it. but think about that guitar, and and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this to you. I can't help but think what like a completely murdered out version would look like, <laughs> <laughs> just all black, just all flat black. Of like, yeah, oh, that'd be cool. I mean, the black and red though is is much more. It's a departure, but it's much more in line with the rest of the brand. I think true than that would be. Um, and so it makes sense. I still think that I don't know why. I I think about that when I think of your guitars. I think of that one, which doesn't make a lot of sense when it <laughs> no, because of no, every, not at the way all. everything else is. <laughs> no, there's I've 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 considered doing that one again the same way, but all the parts that were red would mm-hmm. be gloss gloss black. Mm-hmm. So it would still have the multiply black or white black white binding. And then the outer layer of binding would be gloss black, and the pit, pit guard would be three ply, black white black. Right. Uh, that, so that'd be hot. Yeah, and then black hardware as opposed to the chrome hardware that I put on that one. Yeah, that'd be kind of a tuxedo vibe on mm-hmm. that thing. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah, man. I'm super excited to see it come out. I'm excited that you're doing well, and uh, you you've got some big things on the horizon. So that's Thank really you. cool. Really cool. Thank you. Yeah, now it's a matter of making it all happen. <laughs> I understand. I do. I do. Well, we're getting close to the hour mark, and I have a few classic questions I want to ask before we wrap this thing up. But before Absolutely. that, before that, here's your chance to, you know, say whatever you want to say. If you got a, you know, great aunt Marge, you want to you want to thank or if you got a recipe you want to share with people or just anything you want to talk about right now now is your chance to tell a few thousand people well you know we we talked about like the whole ordeal that i had to go through last year and if if i'm only alive because of my wife like pushing everyone she if if not for her i was in too much of a drugged up stupor to do any kind of you know uh mediating on my own part so she's the one that like fought all the doctors and all the nurses and all the hospitals and the insurance people and everyone else. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be sitting here talking about cool guitars or, you know, any other kind of goofiness or anything for that matter. So my wife truly deserves the huge, uh, the huge shout out and the huge thank you um, to my wife, Blake Nutter. So there you go. Blake's are the best. Uh-huh. I, I mean, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that is that is important. I mean, people, you got to have those people in your life, or things just. I mean, they get very difficult very fast. So for real, I'm I'm glad she was there too. Me too, man. Mm-hmm. And when I remember going into the ER where they were going to do surgery, and the nurse that that what I call caught me basically. You know, they wheel me in. She's she said, is your wife coming? I was like, yeah. She said, what is her name? And, I'm, and I said, Blake. And she said, okay, what did you say? I said, Blake, like Blake Lively, but way hotter. <laughs> and so my wife shows up, right? And she goes, wow, you're right. I didn't think, I thought you were joking. I was like, no, no, she's way hotter than Blake Lively. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> oh boy. All right, man. All right, here, let's get into the classic questions and we'll uh, yeah, dude, wrap let's up do the it. main part. So, first one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh, that's a great one. Uh, man. You know what? My favorite boss pedal is probably the GE7 Graphic EQ. Okay. That doesn't get enough love. No, it's um, like w- one of the most useful, like fix everything kind of deals. Yep, it's like this room sounds weird because especially when you're touring around, you uh-huh. realize that different venues, you know, they've got different things going on, and when the setting that you used in Chicago is not going to work in the venue in Austin. Exactly, and you the G7 is there for you. You're on a, uh, you know, you got a, a some sort of backline rental amp, and it's like mm-hmm. wow. This isn't working. 
<laughs> Turn on the GE7. Play with the mm. sliders. Yeah, yep. man, mess with it. Mm-hmm. Good it will plug. get you there. Yeah. Good plug. And they're everywhere, and oh, they're bomb-proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can buy them on you know, all the used guitar websites for 40 bucks every day of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, last question, and this is the one that gets people kind of fired up. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh. Man. I sort of go back and forth between, um, like, true Manhattan to um, St. Louis. Okay. So both, like, thin crust, uh, you know, obviously Manhattan's got, like, the big... The big round pie, but then uh, St. Louis will cut it up into little squares. Um, but yeah, that's that's my favorite kind of pizza: thin crust with like not a lot on it, really. If I have a mm-hmm. classic, it's probably like pepperoni, Italian sausage, and jalapenos. Okay. Oh yeah, you're a man after my own heart. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not intimately familiar with St. Louis style pizza the way I am the New York style. Yeah. The the whole Chicago thing is it's too much. For me, not not that I don't like it, but it's if I if I have a preference, that's what I'd go with. So I was recently introduced, and the listeners are probably getting tired of me saying this, but I was recently introduced to the other Chicago style pizza, or what right. some Chicago people refer to as the real Chicago style. And that's the tavern <laughs> right. style, thin yeah. crust, uh-huh. uh, and it, it it's one of the best pizzas I've ever had in my entire life. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Totally, totally nice. Well, th- thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, everybody, you make it. sure you go check out his guitars. They're they're awesome, and he's a good dude. And, <laughs> thank you. You know, yeah, you can find stuff. it find it all on Instagram at um, at Nutter Guitars, uh, NutterGuitars.com at the website, and also just look for Nutter Guitars on Facebook. There you go. All right, everybody. For Brian, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. And if you need more conversation with myself and Brian, and we did get into some very Taylor Swift-specific things, which I really enjoyed, there is more waiting for you over on Patreon. Over on Patreon, for five bucks a month, you get extra episodes beamed directly to your ears in your preferred podcast player. And it's more conversation sometimes there. Very, very in-depth, and it's always a good time, and you help support the show and keep this thing going. Literally, help keep the lights on around here. Pays my electric bill, and I cannot thank the patrons enough for the support they've shown over the years. And if that sounds like something you'd like, please pop over to patreon.com slash tonemob and check it out today. And if not, no worries. The most important thing you could do is share this. I just found another podcast because one of my friends directed me to it, and I'm really, really enjoying it. And that's usually how people find things is when they're shared between friends and colleagues and all that jazz. So if you could, just send the link to this podcast to one of your friends this week, and I would really, really appreciate it. Preferably one that you think might care. You know, your cousin Stu may not care, and uh, you don't need to bother him with that. But if you have a person in your life that you think might get something out of this, please shoot it their way. Thank you, everyone, for the support. Please go check out the American Cyclops release. I I have another one coming, like I announced. I'm going to be dropping singles. I've got albums in the works. It's all good. It's fun times. Thank you all for the support. You make it possible. Talk to you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get 
some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.